Welcome to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Professor Don Marinelli, co-director of the Entertainment Technology Center at Carnegie Mellon University, and Dr. Scott Stevens, senior system scientist at Carnegie Mellon University, discuss a software tool which allows authors to take written dialogue and transform it into interactive character conversation. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and don't forget to subscribe to the Free to Choose Media Podcast. Scott, your... um Probably your biggest accomplishment to date in terms of technology has been with the synthetic interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you tell us what the synthetic interview is about, how it came about, and, and what you see as long-term potential? Sure. Uh, it really has its roots uh, almost 10 years ago in a project that uh, I worked on here at Carnegie Mellon called the Advanced Learning Technologies Project. There, <clears throat> our goal was to create Uh, essentially synthetic characters, uh, people that users could talk with, uh, something that is beyond what uh, I call an interrupted movie. We hear a lot about interactive movies, Mm -hmm. and in fact, they they tend not to be interactive. Uh, And we wanted to allow users to be able to get in a world and converse with the participants in the world and (coughs) be as natural as you and I talking right now. Mm -hmm. Now, 10 years ago, we had lots of problems. We tried to use uh, speech recognition technology. It wasn't there. We used uh, kind of a menu-based natural language interface so that people could converse with the the characters in this world. (coughs) It was successful for training purposes, uh, but it never really went beyond kind Mm -hmm. of high-end kinds of uh, computers. Several years ago, at the beginning of a project called the uh, Infermedia Digital Video Library Project, we were working with our, one of our local uh, PBS affiliates. It's uh, WQED. They've done Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and a number of uh, science series. And we were looking at all of the film that they had. And uh, they would go out and shoot. And of course, typical productions are shot at um, oh, uh, 50 to 101. That is, every minute that gets on the air, they have 50, uh, uh, 50 minutes that were shot. And they had gone to speak and interview Arthur C. Clarke, the science fiction writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they flew to Sri Lanka, and they had um, oh, something like six or seven hours in the can that they had shot of these interviews with him. And they got literally uh, 60 seconds on the air. But they had all this wealth of material. And we started looking at it, and we said, gosh, it would be uh, interesting if you could somehow get interactive access mm-hmm. to that because as interesting as Arthur C. Clarke is, sitting through six hours of that interview may not be what anyone was interested in. And we put together what we call a synthetic interview that allowed someone to essentially type in a question at that time. And if there was a response by Arthur C. Clarke, then they could get that response. Uh, It was really a a relatively limited one, but it kind of sparked our interest in what we could do from there. in the Intermedia project, we were using Carnegie Mellon's uh, Sphinx speech recognition system and uh, a system uh, called Pursuit, which is the uh, search engine that underlies one of the more popular web search engines that is called Lycos, that was invented here at uh, CMU. And we said it'd be interesting to see if we could somehow combine these technologies and automatically let someone walk up and talk to a character. Uh, so the first one we tried was uh, an interview with a student here, just to see how it would go. Mm-hmm. And we spent um, just an hour or two asking questions of, of uh, the student, 
put them in, and then let people ask questions. We were able to integrate the uh, speech recognition system and uh, run it on essentially a, a home machine, a uh, Pentium at that time, Pentium P90. Uh, and that was one of our goals. We were interested in seeing if we couldn't get this in a consumer machine, in a machine that uh, was being sold at, the de at, at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, today, essentially any machine that's out there can run the system. And um, the, uh, the collaboration you and I have had, I think, has mm -hmm. been really key to this because the fact that we're never going to be perfect, that is, the speech recognizer has errors, index has errors, natural language has errors. <coughs> what we need to be able to do is, is handle those errors. That is, when the system fails, mm -hmm. when we don't have something mm -hmm. there, what's the artistic um, response that allows the user to still feel like they're having this conversation? And I think that's something that's very different than uh, most other kinds of systems that are out there. We don't strive to be perfect because we know we can't be mm -hmm. perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, this kind of goes to uh, uh, something that Raj Reddy, the dean of uh, the School of Computer Science here, has said for years, the 80-20 rule. <coughs> you can spend 10 years getting 80% of a problem done, and then another 10 years to get the last 20% done. Is that the best use of your resources? Mm -hmm. And uh, it typically is not. You're better off looking at other problems as opposed to perfecting this one problem. And I think that's what we've done here. We've said, all right, we can get that 80% today. Mm -hmm. We can get things that are interesting uh, and let people have access to expertise that, uh, that they haven't mm -hmm. had before. Uh, is it perfect? No. But if it's interesting and captivating enough, people will begin to use this. Well, let's talk about the impact of it. Because sure. right now, what, we're, what we've basically been able to accomplish is someone being able to walk up to a computer and using a microphone, speaking the way we're speaking now, talk to a persona, either historical uh, recreation as was done with the Einstein uh, one, or with a celebrity, a, a self-help guru, a teacher, a politician, you name it, and have a conversation. The feeling is of real-time, person-to-person conversation but the reality is there's one living human being there and the persona being uh, presented by computer. Mm -hmm. Let, let's talk about possible psychological impact of that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, because it's something that we really have not discussed. Yeah. And it's major. I mean, you know, my wife kids me saying, Gee, now you're working on a project which will <laughs> destroy <laughs> the country <laughs> in the sense of questioning reality. Mm -hmm. What is reality? Mm -hmm. and, and as the uh, you know, father of Synthetic Interview, you must confront this issue. <laughs> um, are people going to get sucked up into it too much, I, I think yeah. is the, the bottom line. It's, um, it's the today's version of what would happen if you had a Star Trek holodeck where you walked right. in mm -hmm. and you had this perfectly synthesized character there. Uh, William Gibson just did an interesting book called Idoro, which has the same kind of implication. A pop singer marries a synthetic character mm -hmm. uh, in it. Uh, will people go that far? I certainly hope not. Certainly not with ours. Although it's interesting that you bring it up, because uh, every time we've kind of gone public with this in a large setting, 
uh, we had the recreation of Einstein, and that was at a conference, uh, the uh, 50th anniversary of the Association mm -hmm, of Computing mm -hmm. Machinery. It w the exhibit was open to the public, and we had hundreds of people come through. And uh, there were certainly some people that felt there was an actor on the other side of the room somewhere, and this was just being piped through. Uh, we also did this at a, uh, a hockey uh, playoff game here for mm -hmm, the Penguins, right. and uh, we did a hockey star. And there were people that were coming up and thought that Joey Mullen, the particular hockey player we had, was in another room. Mm -hmm. And they were asking for things like autographs. And when he'd come back and say, well, he didn't have one, some of them would almost get irate. I want an autograph. Mm -hmm. And they really thought he was over there. Um, how much did that affect them? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't think, um, I guess I, there are people that watch uh, Star Wars and think that kind of technology is there today. And doesn't matter if it's an interactive experience or a linear experience. Some people are going to believe that there's that things are possible that they really aren't. Now, yeah. okay, it's a little different here. It's a little different because mm -hmm, somebody mm -hmm. can really get kind of get sucked up in the experience. Yeah, I mean, here. Imagine the movie Harvey, all right, with James Stewart, <laughs> and you know, I have my friend, the Invisible yep. Rabbit. Yep. I think that some of the scenarios that people have cast our way are. Gee, I'm, I'm not getting along with my parents, but I can always get along with so-and-so who's in the computer and who listens to me and cares about me mm -hmm. and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. To what degree might there be this bonding with, um, with that sort of individual? And, and if it is proven that the synthetic interview has that sort of uh, empathetic capability, when do we start having the synthetic Hitler or the synthetic... Um, you know, leader that, that's able to understand you and talk to you, especially if it's via website or something like that. It's a little sinister. I don't, yeah. I don't think, yeah. I don't think, uh, I don't think it's going to get to that level of believability where you're going to get many people that would be fooled for long mm -hmm. uh, or fool themselves, really, because we're not trying to fool them. There's no, nowhere in this that we try and say this is really No, no, it's really the individual right. <clears throat> who would fool themselves, right. willingly fool right. themselves. And, and sure, I mean, that can happen. You can put lots of uh, disclaimers there, and somebody is still going to kind of think that, it, that it's uh, reality. Um, I, I think that the positive side of it, any technology can be used for, for good or evil. Yeah. I mean, it's a trite Even saying, today. but it's true. That's yeah, right. Television, film, you name it. You name it. Uh, I think the positive side of allowing people to have access to individuals, to expertise that they couldn't in any other fashion far outweighs that. When the internet first started, um, there were a lot of uh, pundits who would say, this is going to allow everybody in the world to have access to all the great minds of the world. Because you had email. This is before even the mm -hmm. kind of state mm -hmm. of things five years ago. And they said, now any school child could go and email uh, to a Nobel laureate a question and get an answer. Well, that's just ridiculous, of course. You have 40-some, 50-some million school children in this country alone. Mm -hmm. You only have a handful of Nobel laureates. You only have a handful of experts in any one area. And all it takes is a few dozen questions, mm -hmm. even weekly, let mm -hmm. alone daily, to swamp the capabilities of, of any one individual. So how do you somehow spread this expertise? 
And that was one of the things we were really interested in with this, because now you can capture that expertise. Mm -hmm. It's not an expert system, but it's something that's not just an interview with a person, a lot more dynamic, more, uh, more interesting to interact with. Mm -hmm. and, and it's now, accessible. And it's accessible. It's accessible anytime, any place. So all right. of a sudden, you're capturing expertise, and you're, you're crossing the time barrier. You're allowing people to scale up. That's something that an individual can't do on their own mm -hmm. unless somehow there's some way for them to scale up. Television scales people yeah. in a way, but it's broadcast. You have no way to get back. Even uh, distance education, where you have uh, television broadcasts, live broadcasts with experts, you can only scale that up so much. It's like having a, a lecturer and a thousand students in a lecture. How much can any one student interact with the lecturer? Essentially none, not, not at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you scale that up to web broadcasts of, of uh, television uh, instruction, it, it just becomes unmanageable. So this is a way that everyone could interact with that expert whenever they wanted and have their questions answered. Well, that was one of the things when Raj uh, uh, asked us to do the Association for Computing Machinery. Remember the title was uh, Time Travel, Immortality. What was the third one? Uh, let's see, Immortality, Time Travel, and... Uh, uh, and there was one other yeah, one. Yeah. But let's, let's focus on the immortality one. Because in the same way that the, you know, I, I did phrase the question sinisterly, there's an upside. There's a very positive <coughs> side to what the synthetic interview is going to allow one to be able to uh, accomplish. And this notion of immortality, the ability to access an Einstein. I mean, we do it with an actor recreation, but imagine when he was alive. What we're trying to do with Herb Simon. Or the whole notion of family. Mm -hmm. I mean, said, making in many respects the scrapbook or the, the photo album a thing of the past because mm -hmm. of the idea of keeping loved ones around or allowing a, one to talk to grandchildren, great-grandchildren that aren't, aren't here. I mean, that they'll never see, but being able to have that, that bond. What other positive and optimistic uh, aspects of the synthetic interview? Like, weren't you doing work with a physician? Yeah, we, we did. Um, we uh, worked with a neurosurgeon who was doing a lot of work uh, with telemedicine. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a dozen or so hospitals that were linked in and what's kind of frightening is kind of the state of some of medicine in some rural areas uh, and this allowed for neurosurgeons mm -hmm. who may not be specialists in, mm -hmm. in some areas to have access to him. And what would happen would be someone would call in with a question, uh, maybe send along a um, um, an x-ray of a particular patient, mm -hmm. and he'd try and answer them. And I was there one time when literally had a, a question uh, posed to him from a neurosurgeon, I think it was in Montana, who had read about the work that he had done, uh, a particular new procedure, mm -hmm. had not seen a videotape of it, had not seen the operation, had a question. Fortunately, this particular neurosurgeon was able to answer the question because the neurosurgeon in Montana was in 15 minutes going to go in and perform the operation on a patient. And it's really frightening to us as lay people to think the neurosurgeon would go in and perform an operation never having seen it and having no other information about mm -hmm. it other than mm -hmm. what he read in a paper. But if you think about it, the patient's only choice probably was that the neurosurgeon try this because if he didn't do it, 
uh, the patient was going to die. They were too far to life flight the patient away. If they tried standard uh, techniques, the patient probably would die or would become mm -hmm. a mental vegetable. Mm -hmm. If the neurosurgeon here in Pittsburgh wasn't available to answer the question, he yeah, would have gone in without even mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. And it was a question the neurosurgeon in Pittsburgh had answered hundreds of times. So what we did was put together uh, a synthetic interview with some of these questions on a particular technique. And we never really used it in practice, but he did take it to other neurosurgeons around the country and said, here's this new technology. Would you use it if it was available? And the reception was very overwhelming, sure, because if I can't get to you live, this is a, a reasonable replacement. Right. So that's one instance where having this instant 24-hour day accessibility uh, for the dissemination of information has an extremely positive sign. Yeah. I mean, very positive. If, if you can get those questions answered, uh, regardless of the fact that it's 4 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. someplace, there can't but be a net gain, a, a, a positive sure. result of this. Sure. Yeah, and just on a purely entertainment historical side, you were mentioning uh, family members. Mm -hmm. uh, or what about the people who we would all love to talk to from any walk of life? Uh, we're working uh, as a demonstration with the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, and we did an interesting one uh, using some existing material that they have of uh, Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke. And <clears throat> while we haven't had a lot of people use it, just me as a, a consumer of it mm -hmm, myself, mm -hmm. I found it really interesting to be able to interact with these characters, characters, these people, uh, in a way that was a lot more fun than sitting there watching a two-hour interview. Uh, again, that two-hour interview has a lot of information, but a lot of information maybe I don't care about. Mm -hmm. And so being able to have that anywhere, now, as you said, whether it be a historical figure, if you could go out and get mm -hmm. you, uh, mm -hmm. capture every president as they were there and allow someone to ask them questions mm -hmm. 100 years from now. Well, do you see it moving to the point where you combine the internet capability, the search capability, to the point where the computer, interface-wise, really becomes Aladdin's lamp? I mean, basically rub mm -hmm. it, turn it on, and say, I want to speak to Mary Tyler Moore. Sure. And pretty much an instant hookup via the uh, database at the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, the uh, uh, synthetic interview technology combined with uh, you know, ISLIP technology, so, I mean, which is all behind the scenes, and she's there. Mm -hmm. I mean, we start moving to the point where that immediate demand can be gratified. And like any yeah. immediate demand, in gratifying it, you're either going to use it for uh, shallow or spurious intentions, or you make the most of it. Mm -hmm. Having knowledge and experience and information at your fingertips is something that I mean, more and more people are thinking in an evolutionary sense will, will uh, invigorate the mind to the point where who knows what thought processes mm -hmm. are in there that can be brought out. Or if it's uh, you know, steady diet of just, I love Lucy, I love Lucy, I love Lucy, you're, you're going to become a little, little brain dead. Yeah. Uh, what do you, how long before you think that there'll be enough artificial intelligence that in, an, in a synthetic interview, they're going to be not simply retrieving uh, pre-recorded video clips of um, uh, celebrities and personalities answering questions that were asked in anticipation of what the demographic will ask, but to the point where it'll be able to replicate the thought processes. 
long, long time. And we're way off <coughs> from that, <coughs> at least in any, any real deep sense. Just going up, and if you haven't pre-planned uh, <coughs> pre it, you can't ask Einstein how much is two and two. Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to co have total coverage is, is, I think, many, many decades away. Now, <coughs> that said, there's another side to it, too. With historical characters, we want to not put in words in their mouth that, mm -hmm. that weren't right. there. Uh, so, sure, we could go in and even today generate some new things for them to say. But would it be what that person would have said? You know, mm -hmm. we have no guarantee. In fact, we probably are, would be wrong. wrong. <clears throat> now, the user would never know that, and that's where some of the danger comes in. I don't think is when we're trying to be historically accurate, either with someone who's living today or someone who we're trying to bring back, uh, we would want to interject things that we know that they didn't say or weren't sure that they did mm -hmm, say. Mm -hmm. So it's more of, more of one of uh, the design of it, the responsibilities I think you have, than the capabilities, although the capabilities mm -hmm. to ha handle anything is certainly far away. I mean, the, the, the other scenario that's presented uh, is uh, at what point will we be able to capture an actor, since I've come from a drama <coughs> background, an actor saying a particular sequence of words or sentences with a camera doing a 360-degree mapping of that individual in various uh, facial mm. expressions, surprise, anger, etc., uh, that we'll be able to um, not need the actor anymore yeah. and just uh, we'll have John Wayne forever or Tom mm -hmm. Cruise forever and be able to, since an actor simply, you know, memorizing lines, writing the lines for the actor and having him or her act it. That's a little closer. Um, that's at the point now where you can do what you said, but today no one would look at the results and believe it was, in fact, that actor. There are mm -hmm. enough nuances that we don't have where anyone will walk up and say, oh, that's Tom Cruise. Right. Uh, but will that happen at some point? Sure, that will get to the point where you can do that. What are the implications of that? I'm not sure. I, mean, I still think that people are going to want to know at some point that there is a live person behind this. That is. There's the genre of cartoons, uh, Toy Story, and so on, has its place. And people, when they view that, do not think that, there are, that they're viewing live characters. But they have a very different experience mm -hmm. when they do that than when they view Titanic. And e even if Titanic were completely done with synthetic characters, I, I have a feeling people would have a different kind of visceral experience with that if they knew that there were no real live people somehow involved with that. And so it's not clear to me that you want to get away from that, even if you can. Mm -hmm. uh, so far we've talked about what the synthetic interview can do now, and these you know, hypothetical, gee, what will happen when it seems like uh, truly somebody's captured in the computer. Let me ask you, for the short term, what additional researches are you undertaking on synthetic interview to arrive at the next step, and what is the next step in this year, 1998? Uh, basically, what we're looking at right now are some of these incremental improvements. Uh, when I mentioned the kind of that 80-20 rule, well, we're not really quite at the 80 yet, mm -hmm. but 
we can get there, I think. Uh, some of the things are allowing us to create specific kinds of language models for different people, if you will, mm -hmm. different domains, mm -hmm. because it's very different when you're speaking about uh, relativistic physics to Einstein compared to neurosurgery or to uh, Mary Tyler Moore mm -hmm. talking about the Dick Van Dyke show. So you have a lot of uh, things that have to be done in each case so that the system can understand what the user is going to say and respond intelligently. Well, we're moving towards creating tools to help that happen, help us do that much more mm -hmm. quickly, uh, automate a lot of that. At the same time, we're uh, creating a, uh, a set of assets that we can use over and over again in other interviews because we know that there are these kinds of questions which are asked to everyone. You go out and you look at internet chat sessions, particularly celebrity chat sessions, where you have mm -hmm. tens of thousands of people asking questions. And you might have only a few hundred distinctly different questions mm -hmm. in there. Right. So you begin capturing those, using them uh, as tools in your next interview so that the whole process becomes easier, but also you get much better coverage so that when anyone comes up, you have a very high probability of having an answer for them there. And if you don't have an answer, then to create the tool so that we can say, all right, we missed this one. Let's go back and get an answer to it. So they're small pieces of the puzzle that we need to make to allow us to do a better job, but no huge change, uh, with the exception of the ability to have different characters talk to one another. We're also working on that now, and we did some of that earlier on. We haven't done it with the interviews, but to allow the synthetic interviewees ask each other questions. So you could have Einstein talk to uh, Benjamin Franklin and mm -hmm. see how they, they converse mm -hmm. with one another. Uh, and also to be able to have a little bit more intelligence in how they might respond mm -hmm. to a particular user in context. So if you're asking uh, a question, I know what you've just asked and I can maybe carry the conversation in a particular direction. So have the the synthetic interviewees be a little more proactive and not just sit there and wait for uh, you to ask me a question, but to say, oh, let's talk about this. Let's move on, you know, ask you some questions. Right. So just to make the whole experience much more lifelike. Mm -hmm. One of the um, aspects of synthetic interview right now is the speech recognition system. And in fact, 1998 has been the year where you know, IBM has come out and, and is now selling speech recognition systems for the home, mm -hmm. for uh, dictation and the like. Uh, what's the speech recognition system that uh, Synthetic Interview is using and what's your just overall comments about speech recognition? Are we there? Uh, no, well, we're certainly not there. Uh, if there means perfect speech recognition. Right. And we're not perfect at recognizing one mm -hmm. another's speech, so that's not surprising. We are uh, just about good enough for our task. And our task is not to get every single word somebody says, but to understand enough so that the system can give a reasonable response. And at that point, maybe 80 to 85 percent accuracy is good enough. And that's about where we are with uh, Sphinx 2. And that is for uh, anyone's, that is, it's called speaker independent, mm -hmm. to walk up to this, begin speaking, and speak in a natural fashion just like we are now. Now you'd like to be better because it still has some problems. And one way to do that is if you can train the system. That's what the IBM system does. The user sits, will speak a, uh, a few passages. The system then can understand that person a lot better. 
Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about a system in the home and you know that there are only three or five people talking to it, they can each train to it, and then you get much, much better accuracy. Mm -hmm. uh, one of our goals has been to be able to put something in a kiosk in the middle of a museum and let anybody talk to it. That's a much harder task. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we're getting better there. I think mm -hmm. we'll mm -hmm. see in the next couple of years for that kind of uh, anybody walk up to it situation be in the high 90 percent and uh, then that's more than good enough for what we're trying to do. It's not good enough for dictation. That is if I mm -hmm. want to speak my uh, latest report for school, right. I don't want to have 10 uh, errors out of 100, but for this we can tolerate that. So where do you see the the most immediate application for synthetic interview occurring in, um, in the foreseeable future? I mean, uh, you know, when will the viewers out there do you think be encountering synthetic interview in a, in a user situation? Mm -hmm. Probably the first thing that's actually going to get out there is uh, a project that we're working on that is uh, going to be in museums. Mm -hmm. uh, this is with uh, JAPT, and you're, mm -hmm. you're doing most of the workforce on that, uh, where we're going to have mm -hmm. the ability to talk to an astronaut and get footage from, uh, from shuttle missions. Mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, and, yeah, and basically you might bringing take a second yeah, actually to say basically where bringing we're his book to life. I mean, mm -hmm. the book being Orbit, which was uh, uh, printed by the National Geographic, mm -hmm. and presents some of the most astounding views of of Earth uh, as seen from space. I mean, something we've all desired and and wondered about. And and I think you're right. That's one of those instances where what impact will this have? Mm -hmm. You know, every astronaut has come back saying, no, this is a change of life experience. You can't go into space, mm -hmm. see the Earth as the uh, that famous Omnimax uh, movie title, as the blue planet, mm -hmm. and, and no boundaries, no nothing, and, and not come back changed. I mean, this is going to allow one to speak to the astronaut who took the photos and uh, see those photos as he describes it. That's, uh, that's going to be pretty neat. And one leap we are making, and we have very little time, but talk about the three-dimensional aspect of uh, speaking with uh, JM. Yeah. Um, there's some interesting technology out there that allows you to have three-dimensional images projected out in space. And so uh, the, the astronaut is going to be kind of floating there. I mean, it looks very much like it, you know, we do to one another right mm -hmm. now, sitting in front of each other, no glasses. Uh, in, uh, that's kind of neat. It's, it's holographic-like. Yeah. It's not a hologram, but it's very holographic-like. So you get much more of a sense of presence. In fact, I think one of the things we're finding with this is each barrier you bring down, and by barriers I mean things that have right. to be put between the user and the system, whether it be speech as opposed to typing. You know, when people type into it, they have the same kind of interactions in a sense that they mm -hmm. do when they speak into it. But there's a huge different when, difference when they speak to the character. And now when the character isn't just on a TV screen, but it's floating out in front of them, all of a sudden, again, it comes, comes back to what you're saying. That believability factor just yeah. jumps up quite a notch. It makes a yeah. huge difference. We're, we're, we're out of time, but, but I think that when we combine being able to talk to them with three-dimensionality, the, the psychological impact of all this, the, the jury is still out. Yeah. But we will be responsible. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Sure. Good. Want more episodes like this? Don't forget to subscribe and get updates each week for the free to choose media podcast.